0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the broken. Isn't
1: it cool when we can sing in confidence of what he's going to do? You can sing ahead of time in confidence of what Jesus is going to do. Actually, as Christians, we ought to be doing that. And it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us to function like this or to work like this because. You know, we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what the prognosis is going to be or what the outcome of this scenario is going to be. But the word continually is telling
0: us, go ahead and sing your songs. We don't know the future. So how can we be confident in anything? Well, today, Pastor James shares that it's okay not to know everything about the future because we do know the one important thing that God is in total control of the future. And he's going to bring about exactly what he wills to happen. You might be facing injustice. You might be facing suffering physically or financially or even emotionally. But Jesus promised to bring you to an eternity that far outweighs everything that will ever happen to you here on earth. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 19 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Revelation chapter 19, we saw the world's perspective. When Babylon is burning, the world is crying, okay? They're bummed out. We see, it. you know, a good portion of chapter 18 was just uh, a repetition as so far as like, these guys were watching it, and they were weeping, and these guys were watching it, and they were weeping. Everybody was just, you know, wailing and all this good stuff because of the destruction of Babylon. Now we get to see the same scene, basically, from heaven's perspective, And it's quite a different scene, okay? So, chapter 19, verse 1, I'm gonna go through the New Living Translation today. Uh, It says this After this, so that's our cue. You know, if you're a Bible student or learning how to study the Bible, after this is always the indication that you need to remind yourself of what preceded it. And what has preceded it is the destruction of Babylon. So, after this, because of the destruction of Babylon, I heard a sound of a vast crowd in heaven shouting. Hallelujah. Salvation is from our God. Glory and power belong to Him alone. His judgments are just and true. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and He has avenged the murder of His servants. Again and again, their voices rang. Hallelujah. The smoke uh, from that city ascends forever and ever. So, what's happening in heaven? Oh, there's a party. There is a celebration. Babylon goes crumbling down, and heaven ignites with a roar. Uh, Hallelujah. There's actually, it's like three hallelujahs in uh, Revelation chapter 19, kind of like uh, one of our music videos there. They are literally raising a hallelujah you and I will be there. We'll be participants within this. So you can prepare. You can you know, get all your practice in now because one day this will become an absolute reality for every single believer. You will be there in heaven looking down at the destruction of Babylon, all the corruption, all the pain, all that stuff that went along with this wicked worldly system. This is you. This is me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. This is telling you exactly what you are going to be singing in heaven. There you go. No surprises. It's right there. It's right there. Hallelujah. May it be, Lord. Kind of like an amen, a great amen of like, I agree. Absolutely. Praise God. Praise Jehovah. Absolutely. Uh, We concur that this is the most uh, excellent thing ever, right? I mean, it's like you can sum up all those words into this little song here. But the chorus erupts, a vast crowd, like many rushing waters is kind of how it's going to be described in a second. But it just erupts from heaven because it's done. Now, the battle is not totally done yet. It's not all over yet. Isn't it cool when we can sing in confidence of what he's going to do? You can sing ahead of time in confidence of what Jesus is going to do. Actually, as Christians, we ought to be doing that. That should be our mode of um, operation. And it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us to function like this or to work like this because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what the prognosis is going to be or what the outcome of this scenario is going to be. But the word continually is telling us, go ahead and sing your songs. But what if it doesn't turn out like I think it ought to? Well, go ahead and sing your songs. He's faithful. He's faithful. Even when he doesn't show up and do things the way that well, I think he should do, or how I think he ought to answer, or whatever, sing your songs. He's faithful. Um, here in Revelation, these, the choirs of heaven are singing because of the destruction of Babylon. There is a war. There is a the last, final war is still yet to come. Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are still on the scene, but we're going to sing our songs. We're going to sing our songs church in 2020, whether it's a COVID-19 scare or the government you know, trying to lock down this or that or BLM busting up churches and all that stuff, we're still going to sing. We're still going to sing our songs. We're still going to sing our songs. The enemy cannot take that away from you. He cannot take it away from you. So they sing their songs. Verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living beings, we remember them from the very beginning. They fell down and they worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice that said, praise our God, all his servants, from the least to the greatest, all who fear him. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout from a huge crowd or a roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She is permitted to wear the finest white linen. Fine linen uh, represents the good deeds done by the people of God. As John's just like, and we're going to see, like, this becomes too much. This becomes too much for John to handle right? So he's been walking through this journey. He's seeing this. He's seeing demon locust type things coming up out of this big hole in the earth or wherever it is. And he's watching all this stuff. And then he gets to this point, basically like the climax of the whole story. And he hears the choirs from heaven. They're singing this. And then they break out into another song and they're singing now about the marriage supper of the lamb. And we'll see in just a second at the end of this little section that John, he just loses it. He just loses it. It's too much. But look, the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's like, it's happening. This is it. This is what believers now, right now, man, we're living for this day. We're living for this day. And what I mean by that is we're serving the Lord right now, and we're doing righteous deeds and all that good stuff. We're kind of putting together the wedding dress in one sense Um, because you're going to show up, the marriage feast or the the marriage supper of the Lamb, all this stuff, it's going to happen. And it says right there, She's permitted to wear the finest white linen. This is the bride, which is, you know, the believers. Fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. Well, do you know that right now you're working on your dress? You know that, right? That's a weird concept for guys because it's like, well, wait a minute. I remember before I got saved, I remember hearing people talk about Jesus and his bride and his bride is a church, and it was the weirdest thing for me. As a guy, I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not, no, nah, I'm not a bride. Um, how does this work? And I think in our mindset, and especially in our Western mindsets, we really get this all mixed up. But we right now, our righteousness, now we are covered by his righteousness. And in fact, the book of Isaiah would say that. Our righteousness is as good as dirty rags, okay? It's just filthy. Like, it doesn't add up to anything, okay? But His righteousness is more than enough for our lives, and we are covered by His righteousness. However, on this earth, we don't work our way to heaven because it's a free gift of God, and it's through grace that we get to go there. But we do works. You're supposed to do works. Why should I be doing works? Well, because you're working on your wedding gown, right? You're working on your wedding gown. You want to show up and... You're part of the Bride of Christ. And it says right there, um, the fine linen, this white, pure, unblemished, unwrinkled, fine white linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. So do good deeds. Do good deeds. Your eternity is secure. It's set. Nobody can take that away. So do good things. Do good works. You're working on your dress. That's a big deal for brides, right? The dress, the dress. Say yes to the dress. This is a show. I walked in on my house one day. I don't know what day it was, but my wife and my daughters are watching the show, and I'm like, no, right? So she, my daughters. I'm like, turn it off. Get them out of the room. Um, but I end up watching the show. This is what's so amazing about this. I end up sitting down on the couch, and I'm watching like two or three episodes of this thing, and I'm like, what is going on here? You're spending how much on a dress? Um, I do weddings. One of the coolest things about weddings, it really is, is when the bride shows up. The bride shows up, and she's at the end of the aisle. I'm here, and I'm standing next to the groom. Uh, It's one of the coolest, sweetest moments I've ever got to participate in, and uh, I really do consider it just such an honor to be a part of a, a couple's, like one of the most intimate moments of their lives. And that anytime they would ask me to do that, I'm just like, listen, you have no idea how humbled I am and how awesome I am. And I always kind of whisper over to the groom, I'm like, this is your moment. Like, take that mental snapshot right now, because there she is. And then and you see her in the gown that she chooses, whatever, and she walks down. It just always looks so beautiful. It just does. It just does. And I'm not like a sappy guy. I'm not. I can watch those TV shows, and I'm looking at dresses. I'm like, what's the big deal, right? Like, I don't know. That's $12,000. <laughs> like, that's a car. Like, are you kidding me? That's a dress you're going to wear once. Um, anyways, that's more of the logical, practical James that comes out. But on that day, on that day, it's the coolest thing ever. It's cool. It's awesome. And I'm there. My mind's playing back to different high school students that I've been honored to officiate their weddings and all that good stuff and watching these kids that I've watched grow up and, and even I'm getting teary eyed and stuff. I got to hold it together, man, hold it together, you know, but it's the coolest thing. And there's the bride and there's that dress and It's perfect. It's perfect. This is something that we will experience to a certain degree. Now, how this all works out and everything in heaven with us as the bride of Christ and all that, I have no clue. I don't know. I don't. My brain, my imagination goes in all sorts of weird directions. But what I know is this, this garment that we will be adorned in, is a lot of that is, well, what are you doing right now? Are you preparing for that day? We know girls, ladies have prepared from childhood for like the wedding day. You know, they're planning. I've known some that, I mean, they're planning this thing out for years. Are we doing the same thing for this day, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Like, are we preparing for that? Do we get excited about that? We should get excited about that. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be fantastic. I mean, there's just no words to describe it. Um, and, and my encouragement to all of us the practical application on this is get out there and do good things, not for yourself. But for Jesus and for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That might be just bits and pieces of fabric that when you walk up into heaven, the Lord's like, hey, here it is. Here's your garment, you know? I have no idea. But I do know we need to be kingdom-minded while we're here. Man, we ought to be representing the Lord, excited for what's to come, singing songs about future events that are going to happen. They're going to happen. I mean, it's written. It's written. And the things that are written, they are going to take place. So let's carry those songs within our hearts. Let's do good things. Let's seek to serve other people. There's a marriage that's coming. There's a wedding that's coming. And it's going to be pretty rad. So we're going to transition from that into this next little interesting part. But here's where John kind of loses it. The angel said, verse 9, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Note that it says the wedding feast of the lamb, not the wedding feast of the king of kings or the wedding feast of the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the wedding feast of the lamb, the one who gave all, the one who sacrificed everything. That is another thing that I try to emphasize when I do weddings. Husbands, be willing to lay down your lives. Be willing to lay down your lives. Your example is Jesus, and he gave it all. He gave it all. He laid down his life for us. And he will be known throughout all eternity. Yes, he is the king of kings, and it's going to say that. I mean, he even has that written on his thigh. Yes, he is the lion from the tribe of Judah. But I think to a certain degree, we will know him very intimately as the lamb who was slain. That's one of those things that's going to make heaven just that much more sweeter, is knowing you're hanging out with the one who paid the ultimate price for you. Incredible just to finish out verse 9, and he added, these words are true words that come from God. These aren't from man. These aren't from some seer stone in a weird hat or anything like that. No, these are words from God. These aren't words from an angel. These aren't words from wise men. These aren't words from philosophers. These are words from God. This angel is telling John, write it down and bank on it. Go all in. Go all in on what he has said. Then John says, I fell down at his feet <laughs> to worship him. Right, like this is an angel, and John's just like this is it. He loses it. Like he can't take anymore. He's watched all this stuff, and now he's watching this. There's this marriage, this wedding feast of the Lamb, and he just falls down at this guy's feet, this angel's feet, to worship him. He's like, no, 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 no! Don't worship me, for I'm a servant of God, just like you and other brothers and sisters who testify of their faith in Jesus. Worship God. This isn't the first time this has happened, right? It's not the first time it's happened. What I admire about this, this angel is very quick to redirect John's focus. Don't worship me, worship God. Don't worship me, worship God. Redirecting people. No, no, no it's not me, it's God, okay? Jesus, when he had people fall down to worship at his feet, never told him not to do it. Never told him not to do it. People worshiped him because he is God. He never discouraged them from doing it because that's who he is. Don't worship me. Worship God. He goes on, the rest of that verse says this, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. I love that. This is partly why I just appreciate the New Living Translation sometimes because the way it's able to phrase and, and frame different scriptures and everything for us. The essence of prophecy, the essence of what we've been reading and taking in from Revelation, what's the point of it? What's the purpose? It's to give a clear witness for Jesus. The whole book of Revelation is about Jesus. It starts with him, and it's going to end with him. It's all about Jesus. And you can even go on to say that all of prophecy is to give a clear witness or to present Jesus in a clear light, a clearer understanding. It all points to him. And here's a really cool description of who Jesus is in Revelation. So Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. Well, the last time we saw heaven open to this extent was Revelation chapter 4. The door was opened so the church could come in. That's when we believe the rapture happens there. Now, Revelation chapter 19, the door is opened again. Well, so that Jesus and the church basically can ride on out, not into the sunset, but into battle. It says, I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. And we're like, oh, no, we've already seen this white horse. That was the bad guy. Remember the four horsemen? And no, no, this is the real deal. This isn't some phony. This isn't some fake. This isn't a antichrist. This is the Christ. The one sitting on the horse was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and then goes to war. Yeah, that's uh, who you want to follow. You want to follow the one who is faithful and true. Faithful when you are not faithful. Faithful when you're faithless. True when you're dishonest. This is who Jesus is. He is faithful and he is true. He judges fairly and then he goes to war. Now he's showing up and he's like, it's time for battle. It's time for battle. It's time to make right all these wrongs. Ultimately, it says his eyes were bright like flames of fire. We've already seen this description of him at the beginning of Revelation, and on his head were many crowns, many crowns signifying the fact that he is king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the head of the church. He's the head of all of it. Like, he's the boss. He really is. He's the man, and now he's showing up, and he's ready to end it all. The uh, global leaders have gotten together. They've assembled this uh, army, so to speak. They're going to try to fight against him and all this stuff. The world system anyways has directed their attention towards heaven and we will fight heaven. We will stop all this madness. We will conquer heaven is the mindset of this worldly system. And Jesus shows up on his white horse. He's like, all right, here we go. Bring it. (laughs) Bring it. Good luck. Um, his eyes are flames of fire. I mean, just like that, I mean, that alone, just piercing through everything, burning through everything. There may not be like a large, you know, oven up in heaven to, you know, shovel in your righteous works to see which ones actually work. I think Jesus with his fire eyes is just going to be like, burn them all down and be like, well, here you go. Here's what's left. <laughs> you know, we don't need an oven for that because his eyes are going to see right through it all, right through it all. It says, the name was written on him. And only he knew what it meant. Fascinating. But what does it mean? I don't know. Nobody knows. Only he knows. This one little sentence, this one little sentence should make heaven all that much more appealing to you, okay? For eternity. Jesus, hey, what's that name? <laughs> what's the written on? What is that? you're going to have eternity to really get to know him. An eternity to really get to know him. Will you ever, will we ever figure out what this means? I have no clue. I know I have no clue. but just that one little tidbit of information has sparked my interest even that much more to be like, "Man, I can't wait to get there, because I want to know what that name is. Like, what is that? Well, why wouldn't you tell us? Maybe you'll find out later. I don't know. I'm not sure. But he's got this name, and only he knows what it means. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, whose blood, probably his own. And his title was the word of God. Well, that's a fascinating title. John is very familiar with this because back in the gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And here he is seeing Jesus. He sees Jesus like the door of heaven is opened up and Jesus is riding on this white stallion no longer a donkey. It's a white stallion. And John is observing. And he's taking this all in. And it says his title was the word of God. The word of God. The armies of heaven, verse 14, dressed in pure white linen, followed him on white horses. That's us. That's the believers. It's you and I. Have you ever ridden a horse? Oh, it's awesome. It's so fun. It's the coolest thing. I love horses. They're amazing creatures. Um, I've ridden on a few of them. And uh, man, there will come this day when the door of heaven is opened up and we will be in formation behind Jesus because he's the general, right? He's the man. But we will be on horses. Like, are these like real horses or heavenly horses? And what's a heavenly horse even look like? I mean, is it like an earthly horse that's, I don't know, but John looks at him and he's like, look at those horses. Man, That's awesome white horses in there, everybody's just pure white linen, which means that, I mean, it's just shining, just brilliance. And we follow them on white horses. This will happen. This will happen. Get, go, go ride some horses now. Get some Practicing now, okay? You don't want to look like a fool on this day. No, you're not going to, right? You're going to have to, like glorified bodies and all that stuff. I don't know how that's going to make you a better horseback rider. But anyways, you can go get horse riding lessons now and be like, I'm just practicing for heaven. I'm just getting ready. I mean, that's all it is. My pastor, Bill Gim, up in Amarillo, has a different thought on this. He thinks white horses should be translated Harleys. He really thinks that it's going to be Harley Davison's, right? And he's has a Harley his whole life. And he's like, ah, I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. Like, fired up, right? Um, I think they're going to be horses. Uh, we're following behind him, but he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us for what happens next. But we get to go with him. We get to go with him. Isn't that the coolest thing about Jesus, that he brings us along? He's like the dad with the little kid who the dad is, quote, unquote, letting the little kid help him mow the lawn. The kid's doing nothing, but the dad is providing all the strength, all the energy, all the effort to mow the grass, and the little kid feels good about it, thinking like, man, I'm accomplishing so much. He feels like a big boy. When the dad understands, like, I did all the work, and in fact, he made it a whole lot harder on me. I could have done it half the time that it took me to mow it with you, which is probably true of us and the gospel and, you know, serving the Lord Jesus. He's probably like, I could have had this done a lot earlier, but... He brings us along, and it's so cool. It's amazing.
0: Revelation isn't just a dream that John made up to entertain or scare people, but yet I wonder what we feel about the last book of the Bible. John's vision of what he saw in the heavens offers many details and signs about what we can expect to come in the future. I take comfort in these words found in Revelation 21.4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. Are you ready, friends, for Jesus to return? If you have questions regarding today's message, would you let us know by visiting breadforthebroken.com and submitting your question through email? We look forward to answering your questions and praying for you as well. There's loads of messages from Pastor James Grizzle to be found, so don't navigate away from BreadForTheBroken.com until you've perused them at your leisure. They're to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, to encourage and uplift you as you navigate the storms that life throws at you. Because we know how rough life gets sometimes. Are you looking for a church to call home? One that's genuine, simple, and uncomplicated? Well, guess what? You found it here with us at Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m., you can find us studying God's Word together. So would you make some plans to come join us? We sure hope so. We trust that you've been blessed by this edition of Bread for the Broken. See you next time.
2: Let me paint the picture of man.